Senator Cantwell. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for allowing me to uh, proceed with the questioning. I wanted to talk about uh, law enforcement specifically, since several of the chairman and council members brought that up. Um, I I, I want to say at the uh, opioid summit held by the um, the Portland Northwest Portland office that it was at, at uh, Tulalip, I see some fascinating treatment work being done by Indian country, holistic, simplistic, and certainly responsive to on-reservation focus. So I don't want to diminish that side of the equation, but what I feel and hear, uh, particularly Mr. Chairman uh, from the Lummi, is that without uh, the adequate tribal law enforcement resources, I almost feel like Indian country is being targeted that people know that you don't have the law enforcement, that you don't have the capabilities, and that's where people are setting up shop. And then consequently, what's happening is the most powerful, the money is so good everywhere that the drug is just being made as quick as possible and as powerful as possible, and people don't even know the impact of it. And the consequences, you had, uh, I'm not I'm not clear if it was four or five deaths, but you had five deaths, four related to this in, in one week. So... Mr. Chairman Azur mentioned the fact that he wants help from the BIA Justice Law Enforcement. And in in your case, we tried to partner with the FBI, but that was even, I'm not saying kludgy, but there are issues of how you all coordinate and how we get the FBI to come out and do a bust with you because you had to get that product off your reservation. You knew how deadly it was and you had to respond but who were you calling? Who were you calling to get to help you respond uh, to this crisis? So I want to know, um, Senator Mullen and I have introduced the Parity for Tribal Law Enforcement, uh, a self-determination contract for federal law enforcement officers, making them eligible for benefits as a way to try to build capacity on reservations. But what are the two or three things we need to do to help right away with better law enforcement tools for Indian country to help fight this. And if I could hear from each of the uh, three tribal chairs here. Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Senator. And uh, again, thank you to the uh, the committee for, for holding this hearing. Uh, yeah, uh, law enforcement is a, is a big issue. And um, uh, not only that, uh, the the severity of this drug and us being a close-knit community, just one, the smallest amount is deadly to us and impacts our uh, future generations. So um, it, it's it's a really serious problem. And at, at Lummi Nation, we, we come against uh, issues that uh, pertain to jurisdiction, especially when we have a reservation that is a peninsula, a road that goes, we call it going around the horn at Lummi Nation. And uh, surrounded by water, and the road has a right-of-way uh, by the county, uh, which is an access road for non-tribals living on fee land, as well as for the Lummi Island Ferry residents, which is not uh, reservation land. And so what do we do when we implement checkpoints and we have somebody who is non-tribal and there's no reasonable cause and uh, they're uh, bringing drugs onto a reservation? And uh, it's it's always an ongoing issue, and I want to back up just just a little bit uh, before uh, I mention a little bit more on on some of the law enforcement thing. Um, this is a, a leadership issue, and 
even just based on on everything we've heard in this short amount of time, we can already see the complexity of how how we're supposed to address it. It, it is law enforcement. It is prevention. It is intervention. It is re- rehabilitation. It is workforce. It is housing. You know, there, there's so much to this, and I think uh, a way for us to ensure that we have resources uh, in the area of law enforcement uh, being one of them is that the the United States declare a, an emergency, uh, a national emergency uh, to fentanyl. That way we can tear down uh, the barriers, tear, tear down the, the bureaucracy, everything that's hindering our ability to take care of our people. Ensure that I, we don't have to compete with our brothers and sisters across Indian country for a grant that helps us uh, with law enforcement through DOJ or through other uh, program services to ensure that uh, we don't have such extensive uh, reporting systems to ensure that uh, we have direct funding because, as you can hear, we know how to take care of ourselves. Uh, but going back to, to enforcement, I think um, uh, we definitely need more resources in uh, BIA, DEA, and the FBI, uh, the lack of uh, prosecutions uh, from DOJ and local authorities. Uh, we also need the ability to prosecute and hold accountable uh, non-Indian drug dealers who are murdering our people uh, through this drug, uh, fentanyl and carfentanyl and all the various versions of it. Uh, the lack of the, the tribal jurisdiction uh, over non-Indian drug dealers uh, coming onto reservation undermines our, our efforts to combat the drug crisis and, and protect our community. And we urge uh, co- Congress to uh, recognize a special criminal jurisdiction uh, over non-Indians who committed drug offenses in our communities. And I, um, I'm sure we'll see more through the, the act that is being introduced. And, um, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, a, a, right now we do everything we can to exert our sovereignty to protect our, our children. You know, we have this, this very scary image of uh, carfentanil, which seems to be reaching our, our smaller communities, which is 100 times stronger than, than regular fentanyl, 10,000 times stronger than morphine. And if, if, if it is sitting on a, a coffee table where there are children, then we have to get this drug off of our reservation. And so right now we're doing everything that we can with the resources that, that we have. With the, the ability of getting the FBI agents to Lummi Nation, we work closely with them. We got over 4,500 pills uh, off of the reservation just within a few days with that, the checkpoints, and canine units. And so we're, we're going to keep going, doing everything we can, uh, but it does come down to a, a matter of, of resource and um, brings up the uh, uh, what we mentioned earlier when we uh, go into drug interdiction, when we get over 4,500 pills off of the road, uh, our beds become full uh, at our stabilization center. And that's why you know there's so many different pieces to this. But if we start with uh, the highest level possible that the United States of America declares this uh, a national emergency, uh, I believe that, that we can overcome a lot of the barriers that we're, we're facing. Aishka, thank you. I know my time has expired, Mr. Chairman, so um, I'll either take it for the record or you can give them 30 seconds, whatever you have. I didn't know if they wanted to respond quickly. 30 seconds. I know that's not a lot of time to respond to this. Uh, Sure, and I I want to thank uh, Chairman Hilaire for hitting the major points. But uh, to break it all down, what we're asking for are resources that cannot be taken away. 
Uh, I know I'd mentioned earlier with the detailing of our law enforcement. The uh, it, it, Let's just be honest, in the, the state of North Dakota, we have five tribes and one FBI agent. And we do understand that, uh, that violent crimes will take that FBI agent to a different case, and, and it prolongs the uh, the cases and the investigations. And uh, right now, the Bureau is currently sitting on a mutual aid agreement that we had uh, brought forward that is still sitting on. That is why I mentioned earlier that the Turtle Mountains have moved forward in self-determining our own tribal drug task force because we can't wait anymore. And uh, I speak on behalf of all tribes that we refuse to wait anymore and we'll do what we can to save our next generations. Thank you. Vice Chair Murkowski. Oh, sorry. No, just, just real quick. Councilmember Kirk, excuse me. No problem. Uh, you know, one of the things for me is Amtrak. You know, right now Amtrak flows right through reservations in Montana. When do we become sovereign and be able to inflict that when it comes through our reservations? I can go as John Tester to Spokane without an ID and somebody just buys me a ticket and they scan it off my phone. When are we going to be able to put drug dogs and enforce those as soon as that Amtrak hits our reservation boundaries? As we continue to, as we continue to battle that, the other thing, just at the Tibic over here, at the BIA formulation, they're bringing data to the Congress that states that major crimes, rapes, homicides, and everything are down in Indian country 50%. So when we come for more funding in those aspects, that in public safety and justice, that's why we don't get an increase because it shows there's a decrease. But once you talk to tribal leaders and you talk to people, we need to get the right data out there that helps us when it's coming to you guys to be able to help us with the funding that we need. If there's a decrease, you guys don't see a reason for an increase. So without numbers and the right numbers, we're not going to be able to fund and be able to do the things that that my brothers and, and sisters need on different reservations and also on ours. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. Uh, Vice Chair Murkowski. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And, and just to follow up on that point here, you know, we, we know the numbers. We know that Native Americans, Alaska Natives, um, as, a, as a population demographically, are, are dying in the past two years of, of drug overdoses more than any other populations out there. Um, we just had a hearing in appropriations this morning on an emergency supplemental. This was the domestic. We talked about the border. Uh, several of my colleagues were, were there at committee. Um, we talked about fentanyl, and there is a significant increase in the uh, significant provision in the supplemental for to combat fentanyl. There's $250 million directed to IHS. I'm looking at the situation in, in Indian country. I'm looking at the situation in, again, communities like Tyonic, Savunga, Dillingham, tiny little native communities that are so far off the grid, most people don't even know that they exist. And yet the drugs are coming in and they are killing people. And so we, we, have, we need this data. We need to understand how it is moving so rapidly. I think we all recognize that we've got to be doing more when it comes to treatment, but we're dealing with a drug. 
the lethality of which is almost incomprehensible for most people. And so when we talk about um, treatment facilities, you just can't take your, your standard five-week treatment facility and, and, and get somebody who is addicted to fentanyl and somebody who got addicted in less than a month and think that in five weeks you're going to flip this and you're going to have somebody that's now clean. We've got, we've got a challenge that is so big and so enormous, it's going to take exactly what you all are doing in your Lummi Nation, um, Chairman, with, with saying as a community, we've got to wrap our arms around it. We, we pretty much have to, have to figure out how we do this from within. And so I, I, I know that resources will be a challenge. I would, I would ask the three of you as tribal leaders, knowing that IHS is going to be receiving a specific increment to go towards these services, where would you specifically direct that? And give that to us in writing. I think that that would be helpful for us. Um, I want to ask Mr. Geddes about what you've been able to do. Um, you have established these three different uh, opioid treatment programs. You've got them in Juneau, you've got them in Sitka, now Klawak. Um, we know that for far too many of our communities, whether you're islanded like you are in Southeast um, or in many parts of, of Indian country where the distances are just so great that telehealth is really um, one way where we can make a difference. Um, can, you, can you describe how the telehealth authority has helped to improve treatment for patients who aren't able to get to it, but also speak to the stigma part of it, because I'm hearing more and more and more that people, they don't want to go into the behavioral health clinic because they're going to get tagged as, that guy's got a problem. We all know what it is. Don't want to even be seen in there. But through telehealth, it gives you that level of anonymity um, that might help address the stigma. So, uh, Mr. Geddes, can you speak to that, please? Thank you, Senator Murkowski. Yes, as you pointed out, uh, Southeast Alaska is a group of islands, uh, spans 600 miles, very, very small native communities uh, throughout the region, and much of Alaska is the same way. Uh, with the advancement and availability of telehealth services, we've been able to create follow-up aftercare programs because once you enter into a service and maybe work on, on sobriety or, or abstaining, um, then you need to re then you return home because people need to be part of their communities. They need to be part of their families and need to have that family kinship. Um, being able to return home and then participate in an aftercare program um, is just essential. And telehealth has been a big component of that. Not only has it allowed people to to enter into conversations by phone or by a Teams meeting or some sort of video like this, uh, but you can then do that. Uh, without uh, stepping into sometimes the, uh, that stigmatizing uh, treatment facility that doesn't fit for everyone. So we've been able to see significant gains around uh, with telehealth access. It's particularly valuable here uh, throughout our expansive region. Uh, uh, we have seasonal workers who need to go fishing, who need to go hunting, who need to, to be out and then 
but uh, with telehealth, we can bring that in. We, we've also seen, and I, and I don't want this lost, um, I've heard from, from communities across Alaska that elders also have an improved ability for any sort of telehealth access. It improves healthcare, it improves and reduces disparities. Uh, so so I, I strongly support remaining and keeping telehealth opportunities as available as possible. Thank you. Um, just to our panelists, know that we are, we've been in a series of votes, so when you see us popping up and down, it's not because we're not being attentive. It's because we do have to go over and vote. That's where the chairman is now, um, and that's where I will be going when he comes back, but not for lack of attention. Senator Tester. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair Murkowski, and thanks for having this hearing. And I want to thank everybody who testified. Uh, Councilman Kirk, uh, let's say that a non-native is selling drugs on your reservation. Does the tribal justice system have the ability to arrest and prosecute them? No. So, to further clarify, you can't arrest them? We can um, work with our cross-deputization that we do have with the county. And the county then, if they have beds available, can hold them but we cannot prosecute non-natives in tribal court on reservations. So what happens to a drug dealer that's peddling dope, peddling fentanyl on your reservation and they get caught? What happens to them? Where do they go? Anything? Hopefully, hopefully if county has enough room, they're able to house them there. If but not, if the county does not, then you let them loose? have to let them loose or try to find the nearest county that has a bed for them. Okay. So um, let's just talk about that problem because that indeed is a problem. What, what can we do about that? Is it simply prison space or is it a jurisdictional issue? Give us the criminal, criminal jurisdiction to be able to charge them in tribal court so we're able to hold them in our jails. Okay. Is that done let's say somebody murders somebody do you have the ability to and it's a non-native do you have the ability to arrest them now it, pertaining yeah. to now pertaining to kids and police officers yes and with the vala yep. we are able to okay so there is a precedent that's been set here yes so we uh we need to t tweak it a little bit uh, on our end I, I know that that senator cantwell talked about um uh, law enforcement, what, what are the barriers for you right now, the major barriers on the ground when it comes to law enforcement? Is it is it FBI? Because I think we're in the same boat North Dakota's in, by the way. Is it, uh, is it lack of BIA personnel? Is it a lack of tribal enforcement? I don't know if you guys have uh, do your own law enforcement up there or not in Fort Peck you do yeah we're 638 through the BIA and we we control our own and do you get do you get the money from the BIA to be able to hire the officers you need or are you understaffed yes but we're also understaffed because our people start out at 20 bucks an hour and nobody wants to come live in northeastern Montana for 20 bucks an hour gotcha so how, how much do you think it would take another you know right now we can use another, of course, can say 100 officers, but we'll never get it. But, right. um, you know, right now we're trying to get our pay up to $27 an hour. So that way we're able to 
bring more interest to our reservation? Yep. Do you have the Do you have the funding to do that, or does that mean you have to limit the number of officers you hire? You know, for the lack of people that we have had there, and with the carryover that we had, making twenty seven dollars sustainable, it, it ain't going to sustain itself for long. It's okay. just using carryover from the previous years that we were able to use. I've got you. I got you. Um, if you were sitting on this side of the rostrum, what would you do? I'd properly fund BIA to be able to help out Indian country because I would want that for every part of the nation to be able to give them the right adequate stuff to fight this and stop this from killing our people. So your number one priority would be funding for law enforcement? Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for your testimony. I appreciate it. I yield, I think, to the Senator from Montana. <laughs> thank, thank you, Senator Tester. Um, and to Chairman Schatz and Vice Chairman Murkowski, uh, thanks for this important hearing. And Councilman Kirk, you've come a long ways when you come from Northeast Montana. There's no quick and easy way to get here. Thanks for coming all the way from Poplar, no less, to be here. Uh, I know firsthand that the Fort Peck Reservation has been hit hard by massive amounts of fentanyl coming into the country. A few years ago, I was down the southern border. In fact, I spent the night from about 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. with Border Patrol doing a ride-along. In their pickups, we get out. We literally were apprehending illegals coming into the country. That was on a Monday when I did that. I went back to Washington, D.C., and then came back to Montana Thursday night and was out in Wolf Point Friday morning of that same week, I was talking to the folks in Wolf Point, your law enforcement, and I asked, I asked the, uh, the officer there, uh, so I was on the border Monday night. Drugs were coming across the border Monday night on the southern border between Texas and Mexico. When did those drugs get here to Wolf Point, do you think? He said, sir, those drugs got here before you did. The ongoing fentanyl crisis is devastating. It's destroying communities, families, lives, and the Montana tribal communities are ground zero for this destruction. The Montana Crime Lab has reported a 1,000% increase in fentanyl-related overdoses since 2017, and Native Americans are suffering the highest overdose death rate by a massive margin. It's not even close. In fact, in Montana, Native Americans are twice as likely to die of an overdose than any other Montanan. The Blackfeet Nation recently had to declare a state of emergency because of the staggering number of overdoses they're seeing. Fentanyl seizures at the border are up 800% since 19, and the drugs that aren't stopped are making their way to Montana. Here's a staggering stat. Montana Highway Patrol, in the first half of 2023, seized enough fentanyl to kill 300,000 people. That's nearly a third of our entire state. This is the human cost of the open border catastrophe that's going on right now on our southern border. The crisis at the border is not a funding problem. 
It's not a funding problem. I was down there again just three weeks ago with Border Patrol. They will tell you we don't need more money. I mean, if they, 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 they'll take some money in terms of maybe some more personnel. They would like to get the wall built, put in other video camera surveillance systems and so forth. They'll say that's, that'd be needed. But they said the most important thing you can do is to slow the flow of the flood of people coming across the border. It's policies, policies that President Biden reversed that were working in the prior administration. This is not a political statement. It's just a fact. Law enforcement solutions are needed to combat this problem. The consequences of fentanyl use bleed into every part of our communities. And what happened, you have the flood of uh, encounters, some 8 million since the president took office, plus 1.6 million known gotaways. Known gotaways means Border Patrol seized the people coming across, either physically or through a video camera, but they were not able to apprehend. We don't know who these people are. And on top of that, there's probably another 500,000 that have just come across. We have no idea. It's a massive problem. And by, the, by flooding the zone with all the, the uh, encounters, our Border Patrol is stretched and they can't stop the drugs coming across. It's a zero-sum situation. Councilman Kirk, I know this issue is deeply personal. We spoke this morning at Montana Coffee. I'd like to give you a moment to speak on how this crisis has affected you, the tribe. You told me that just in the last 24 hours, we've had more deaths to fentanyl. Councilman Kirk. Yeah, most definitely. You know, and uh, it seems like without, without Narcan, we would have one every hour. You know, there's people overdosing even right now at the moment with the Narcan is the one that's saving them. You know, again, like we had a discussion this morning, talking to one of the agents that go throughout Indian country for us, lives on our reservation. You know, I, I went in and I'm like, okay, I want to learn more. What do we do? What do we do to be able to subside everything that we're going to do? And I never thought I would hear it from anybody. And the first thing he says is shut the border down, you know, give us a chance. Give us a chance to stop the flow of whatever's going on here because how does it make all the way from down there to a little tiny place in northeastern Montana? Mm-hmm. How do we get that there? Our in Turtle Mountain, our up in Lummi, our up in Alaska. You know, all these places are devastated with this. You know, so again, you know, it's just being able to work together to find the right answers and the right things for us to do. So that way we don't lose any more parents, mothers, daughters, grandchildren, grandparents. You know, we need to work together to be able to um, make this happen. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm out of time, but uh, I just hope we can come together with a bipartisan. There's a chance right now to actually get a bipartisan solution. We're dealing with the Israel, Ukraine, the Taiwan, and the Pacific challenges, as well as the border. This is a moment we can do something to change the policies, to slow the flow. We don't need to put more money at processing people through faster. We need to put money towards actually slowing the flow. Councilman Kirk, and then I'm done. Okay. So, you know, we see that in Indian country. You know, we see all these billion-dollar packages going to Ukraine and going to Israel. When is Indian country going to matter? When are the treaties and obligations and trust obligations going to matter to us? When are one of those bills going to reach us so that way we're able to adequately take care of our people? If packages and bills can be like that, but we've been underfunded all these years on everything, when is a package going to come so we can start fighting for our people the right way? Thank you so much. Thanks, Councilman. Thank you, Senator Daines. Before moving on, I just wanted to address 
your point. First of all, uh, I want to acknowledge your point. Uh, generations of disinvestment, disenfranchisement, disintermediation of culture and language and land and water, all of it. Um, and so I don't mean to diminish the point you're making, but I do think it's worth pointing out that this committee, both through IIJA, through the various COVID relief bills, and through IRA, made the biggest investment in Indian country and Native communities in American history. So both things are true, that we did that, and also that it's not nearly enough. But I, I did think it was worth pointing out that we've made a down payment in a way that is historically unusual. Again, doesn't solve anything, but it is um, the first most important step in the right direction.